Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Whether celebrating Advent with intentionality is something new to you, or whether it's a dear friend, welcome to Advent. Here at Emmaus Road, we attempt to celebrate the season of Advent with intentionality. For we recognize that we live in a culture that in almost every way attempts to push the sacred to the peripheral aspects of our life. By engaging in the seasons of the Christian calendar, by engaging specifically with Advent intentionally, we attempt to pull the sacred back to the center. Do you feel that push and pull at times? Yeah. Do you feel the pressure of the calendar? I think we all do. It's an exciting time of year. We, try, we fill it with activities and events. But remember that we live our lives by two calendars. There's no escaping our secular calendar. There's no escaping the parties, the concerts, the office gatherings, the trips. But we have another calendar by which we mark time and by which we shape our lives. The Christian calendar, the church calendar. The calendar that we follow, which annually retells the story of Christ in the world. From his birth, to his ministry, to his victory over sin and death through the cross and his resurrection. And finally, to his power fulfilled in our lives through the Holy Spirit. This is our annual story. Each year, we have an opportunity to reflect and consider how Jesus and the Holy Spirit alive within us have shaped us and formed us, how our lives are different year by year. How we've been guided, how we've been molded, perhaps how we've been stretched, perhaps the new opportunities to love and to live life differently as we enact, enact his kingdom. That's our goal, right? As Christ followers, to see Christ and his story changing and shaping and affecting our lives. And what better place to begin our recollection each year than at the very beginning of the story, the story of longing and waiting of Advent. Are you ready for the season? You know, even, even in this moment, I. Let's do something. Let's do something. I've had people lead me in activities like this, and it's very meaningful. I'll invite you to have two hands. One hand is open, palm raised, and the other hand, just turn it down. It's upside down. So in your two hands, let's think about the things of the season which we cherish, the things that are most sacred and blessed, the moments the relationships, the activities, the things that you enact each year. Think of that in your cupped hand open, something you want to retain and hold on to. In your downward hand, 
you might be thinking of something that you could let go this season, something that you could give up in a way to intentionally live into the season differently. So in this moment, let's just consider those two things, the things we want to retain and hold on to as we celebrate Advent and perhaps the things that we want to release as we celebrate Advent intentionally. Hopefully that's a meaningful way to begin our season, begin our service even today. You know, and in this season, it's easy to be critical of the things that our commercialized culture packs into the season of Christmas. <laughs> you know, for good reasons at times, but for as commercialized and as industrialized as the season of Christmas has become, we can still see glimpses of the divine story even in our modern practices. Even in the consumer-driven society, Christmas is all about listing out your desires, filling out your Christmas list, and impatiently waiting for it to be fulfilled, isn't it? Then we even get visible symbols that that fulfillment might be coming as the packages start showing up under the tree. We start wondering, could it be? Is that what it might be? And then finally, when the time has fully come, we can tear off the wrapping on our desires and taste and see if they've been fulfilled or not. And then comes the Christmas morning depression. <laughs> No, hopefully not. Uh, but every child in the final days leading up to Christmas morning has an intimate relationship with longing and waiting. And hopefully, their hopes and longings fulfilled. Is this commercialized version of Advent and our longing really that far off? Obviously, the focus of the desire is off. It's a distorted uh, replacement in this example, but even in our most com commercialized approximation, the telltale signs of the kingdom are there. Longing, waiting, and promises fulfilled. This is where the Christian calendar begins. In each season of the Christian calendar, we find ourselves both celebrating what God has already done, while also longing for his promises to be ultimately fulfilled once and for all in our lives, in our nation, in our society. This is especially true of Advent. We kind of find ourselves stuck in the middle of this space, what we're calling this season, living between. You know, that's what the graphic on the front of your worship folders attempting to enact for us that we're living in the midst of a promise fulfilled and yet longing for that which is yet to come. You know, prior to Jesus and his work in the world, the understanding of his coming was very linear. We've got a graphic for it. Everything that came before Christ was the first age. But when the Messiah came, would come, he would usher in the fullness of God's new reality. And in a moment, everything that God had promised would be made known. But when Jesus came and began to reveal the kingdom that God was ushering in, it was clear that things were working differently. 
Rather than just a select few, God desired to see all creation, all who were willing to taste and to see God, to know his fullness and to know his kingdom. Let's look at the next graphic. When Jesus came, it began the next season. And yet, the first age still had time. And so we find ourselves in overlapping ages. The beginning of the end of the first age was initiated through the first advent. Yet there is much to be done, much still to prepare the way for the fulfillment of the second age. We're living in the already of Christ's salvation and redemption and power. And yet we're longing for things to still be made right. The life between is what we hope to pursue this morning, partially through remembrance, but also through encouragement. Sound good? So as we dive in, we'll be in a couple of passages of scripture today. They'll all be on the screens for you. They're also written on your bulletin or your handout, so you can kind of take those with you. But we'll be popping through a, a few different passages. But as we begin, as we do each week, let's pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds as we enter into the word. Holy God, word made flesh, let us come to this word open to being surprised. Silence our agendas and banish our assumptions. Cast out our casual detachment. Confound our expectations. Clear the cobwebs from our ears and penetrate the corners of our hearts for this word and with this word. We know that you can, and we pray that you will, and we wait with great expectation. Amen. Amen. We'll begin in Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning in verse 14. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things that I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will rise up righteous, a righteous descendant from David, King David's line, and he will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be its name. The Lord is our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says, David will have a descendant sitting on the throne of Israel forever, and there will always be a Levitical priest to offer the burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifices to me. As we celebrate Advent, we attempt to align our hearts to those, with those to whom salvation and redemption has been promised and yet remains unfulfilled. Scripture helps us with this by inviting us into the story of promise through the nation of Israel. You know, but it doesn't take much an imagination to even see those in our current societies and our current cultures who know a promise for something better, and yet they haven't seen it in their lives yet. Scripture helps us to unify our hearts and to, to align ourselves with this feeling. You see, just like the nation of Israel lived in a place, they lived in a place in a time in history where things 
were pretty rough. Nations were always looking out for themselves. War and occupation and slavery, it was not just the norm. By all appearances, it was the necessity for a nation to survive and thrive. And being a relatively small nation, a homeless nation for that matter, Israel was a pretty easy target. For a nation that was perpetually an underdog to those around it, Israel felt deeply in their core the need for salvation, the need for a leader to come and to free them, to give them hope, to give them the leadership they desired. And God heard and answered their cry time and time again through the words of the prophets. As God's people lived through cycle after cycle of captivity followed by short-lived freedom, their cry for a just and righteous king remained constant. That's what we hear in most of these prophetic, uh, these prophetic uh, words of a coming Messiah, a coming king. The, ch the nation was experiencing the domination of an, of an uh, evil king, someone who wasn't living for God's kingdom and his righteousness, and they felt that angst. They were calling out for a king, and so God opened the voice of the prophets. As we remember the first advent, we align our hearts with these longings, starved for salvation. Some, like the nation of Israel, recognize their need and even recognize the source by which it will come. But others may not even recognize their need fully, but they have an idea that something isn't right. They're seeking help, sometimes in the wrong places, but they're seeking. Israel was looking for a solution to their king problem. God gave Israel and us so much more. He gave us freedom from the earthly kings and kingdoms. He gave us salvation from heart and mind, through heart and mind, through Jesus. You know, but directly associated to these promises of salvation and the need for freedom were also promises of peace and justice. Once and for all, for there to be an end to suffering and slavery, hope that God would once again restore his faithful people to the center of the story being lived out on earth as people entrusted with the truth and the beauty of his kingdom. This leads us into our next prophecy, our next passage for this morning. It's in Isaiah chapter 2. This will be familiar to some of you. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and the people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore, 
Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You know, even before Jesus came, God was beginning to inspire his people with a vision of how the world should look when the rule and reign of God was fulfilled. I love in that passage the glimpses of civility and togetherness that we hear. Nations together working out their differences, unmaking their implements of war. That is a hope we can identify with. Then the Messiah came. Like that graphic we looked at of that linear age, Israel expected everything to change in an instant. For this and all the other Old Testament prophets kind of implied that that's how it would work. That that's how peace would be fulfilled. Yes, and it would inevitably require a short period of perhaps violence as Jesus kicked the Romans out of Jerusalem or whatever occupying nation there was. But then the peace stuff could start. <laughs> then they could start unmaking their swords, turning them into plowshares. But as Jesus began to enact and practice the peaceable kingdom of God, everything looked and felt different from what they expected. Jesus had a surprising message to share. He demonstrated a different kingdom than that that was expected. But salvation over sin and death was one. And a new way of living as ambassadors of the kingdom was began. Along with a promise. A promise for a second advent, a second coming. Retaining the hope for all things to be made right. You know, you've probably thought in times as you've read scripture, or maybe as you've heard messages like this, why didn't or why hasn't God chosen to fulfill his kingdom upon earth in an instant? Why is it working the way it's working? It's a great question. One to which you may have a couple of answers. But I think one simple answer is it's for his grace and his mercy. For Jesus began to demonstrate a salvation and a hope that was not just for the nation of Israel, because they would have been the ones to receive it if Christ had come and brought the second age into existence in the way they expected. It would have just been for the nation of Israel. But like Isaiah's prophecy, God was instilling a deeper, fuller desire for not only the hearts of Israel to know him, but for the hearts of all mankind through life, through teaching of Jesus to come and to know him. Israel was looking for hope in the first advent only, but God was revealing something much fuller. Salvation for all creation, along with the means to see the message spread through ambassadors like you and me. all culminating in a final hour when things will be made right through Christ's second advent. 
Romans chapter 8. Let's look at this. It's getting good, folks. Romans chapter 8. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjugated to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we, believers, also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory. For we long for our bodies to release, be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us all our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies that he's promised to us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Like the nation of Israel, all creation feels this angst. We cling to the promise of the coming advent of God, just as a mother anticipates the release of the maternity bed. We find ourselves living between two promises, the already and the not yet to come. But our waiting and our longing should take on new shape because of the promises that we have seen fulfilled in our lives. Because of the salvation empowering of the first advent, the waiting takes on new hope. In establishing a kingdom that entered our world in the life of Jesus, but will be lived out through the lives of people like you and me, God has revealed something much deeper, something much richer. He's invited us not just to be subjects of the story, but to be participants, to be actors in it, to be the ones through whom his kingdom comes. That your longings, your desires, shape the look of the kingdom. That's what it means to be faithful people of God in this time. Not just to recognize the overwhelming need, to recognize it exists, but to begin to behave as if the fulfilled kingdom were already here. That's what Jesus preached over and over and over. The kingdom is here. This is how we begin to close the gap of the in-between. We begin to live our lives as if the promise has fully come. And by doing so, we begin to make it reality. Is this making sense? Andy would say, you guys with me? 
by inviting all those who would receive his salvation into the story, the width and the breadth of the work of God and his kingdom has been compounded beyond imagination. He's able to anoint our desires for the fulfillment of his salvation and peace and justice in our world. He's able to direct our sense, our angst for justice and reconciliation as powerful fuel igniting in us ways in which we usher his kingdom into reality. The promise remains that there will come a day when all things are made right. Our final passage is Psalms 37, just three verses, beginning in verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your hearts. Commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him, and he will help you. This may be a new way for you of thinking of your desires. Is it okay to long for things? Is it okay for us to have desires? Perhaps for a new job, perhaps for a new child to bless your marriage, perhaps for a promotion, perhaps for a significant other, a new relationship. Is it okay to have these desires? Or is it only okay to long for things that somehow fit into this mysterious list of godly desires? as opposed to ones that we might feel are just personal. They're just, maybe God doesn't care, it's just for me. We might feel that longing for things and wanting things is sinful. And yes, the Bible warns us against envy, not to think so highly of ourselves and our own needs, to be content with simplicity and less. That's all fine, but not to the extent that it stifles our ability to dream and to work for his kingdom in big ways. And I think the passage gives us the key, trust in the Lord, take delight in him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, the desires of our heart just might begin to change and shift as we trust in the Lord and lean upon him. You know, a new car for selfish reasons is one thing, but a new car that enables you to be more fully productive, a more full participant in the things that God's asking you to do, to get to and from work, to get your family around, to do the ministries that he's invited you to do, that's something different. We also see something that Jesus did. I was kind of reminded of this and inspired by this, but one thing that Jesus did all the time he would ask people, what do you want? What would you ask of me? You know, the blind man on the road, he asked, what do you want? To his disciples, he asked, what do you want? 
He asks people all the time, what do you want? What's in your heart? What are you longing for? What are your desires? Sometimes their answers were embarrassing. <laughs> like his disciples, he said, can I be the one to sit on your right hand and my brother sit on your left hand? Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. But sometimes they were breathtakingly honest and humble. I want to see. I want to be whole. I want to be healed. Whether our desires are pure and holy or perhaps our desires are self-serving, isn't it better to unpack those with Jesus? Because our longings have power over us. If we secret them away beneath the surface, they have this tendency to have a negative hold on us. But if we confidently share our desires with Jesus out in the open, he will help us sort them out. He'll help us allow those desires that maybe aren't so great for us to kind of fall to the wayside. And he'll fan the flame on the desires that you have that allow you to be a part of his kingdom come. You know, in a talk I heard recently about desire, Olivia Munn Shurseth said it beautifully. She said it like this. He is able to give heavenly perspective and passion to hearts that have become numbed. And he also provides new desires to those whose passions are focused upon lesser substitutes for his goodness. Jesus asks, what do you want? He invites us to unpack our longings and our desires with him. You know, finally, I think it's good to recognize something that is very common, a very common frustration when, we ex when it comes to longing and desire and hope. What happens when seemingly the answers just don't come? Or when they do, they look so different than what we expected that we hardly recognize it. Can we trust Jesus with our longings and the sometimes surprising ways in which we see them fulfilled? I think a warning, a warning that I felt as I was preparing this, a warning when it comes to our desires, because sometimes we, we have a tendency, even with a godly desire, to just jump in, to maybe take the initiative a little bit. To maybe think, God, you're not doing this quick enough. You're not doing this fast enough. That's not the way I thought it was going to be. We start to interfere a little bit. If we're willing to undermine God's solution, perhaps if we're willing to sin in attaining God's goals, or if you sin when you didn't get the response you wanted, then the desire that we have for God has been shifted. We've flipped it. The desire has taken God's place. The desire for itself's sake. We've flipped what we were encouraged in that psalm scripture on its head. But 
There is a hope and a promise to remain holy and pure in our desires. Chasing after them confidently and boldly, boldly as we enact God's kingdom, his peaceful kingdom in our lives. You know, as Melissa and I were discussing kind of what was on my heart, what we were sharing, we kind of found ourselves asking the question of one another, if you could ask God for one thing and he would do it, what would you ask? What Advent does is point the unresolved hopes and desires of our hearts towards Jesus. And it invites us into a beautiful dance of hope fulfilled and hope yet to come, even in our personal longings and desires. In your worship folder, in the notes, you'll see that question written out. If you could ask God for one thing and he would do it, what would you ask? Maybe you don't have an answer right now. Maybe you had an answer even before I asked it. But I invite you to just take a moment and reflect in those simple space, spaces provided. If you could ask God for one thing and he would do it, what would you ask? May we continue to hope and to chase after the desires that God has placed on our hearts. By living as God's faithful people, enacting our hope through daily moments of prayer, of longing, of love, and of sacrifice. You know, in closing, I'd like to invite us into a moment of prayer and reflection guided by the poem that's on the back of your sermon notes. It's on the back side. There's a poem there. You'll recognize these words as the source for the song we sang earlier, Hallelujah, Christ is Coming. And as our prayer time, we'll be reading this poem. I invite you to consider your promises, both the promises fulfilled, but the promises that you carry in your heart that are yet unfulfilled, the desires, the questions we would ask. Let's pray. Come, Jesus, come to us again. Be here as when the world began. Come, let us see you without fear and love and hold you our most dear. Come, Jesus, come to us at last and end the world's long advent fast. The first advent broke darkness sway. Christ's birth made night as bright as day. When Jesus spoke, the truth was known. When Jesus walked, the way was shown. When Jesus died, all death was slain. When Jesus rose, twas life's refrain. Yet still the dark with light contends until the Lord Most High descends. His people bear their cross of pain. His people from the world abstain. His people thirst for wisdom still. His people seek his kingdom's will.
He will return to end the fight, to banish the power of night. When Christ returns, our hope is sealed. When Christ returns, the world is healed. When Christ returns, he is the prize. When Christ returns, the dead will rise.